Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. The going has been pretty smooth on the roads in Lower Mainland. Last year at this time, we'd already had uh, some snowstorms, so I don't want to jinx anything here, but, you know, lately... Recent winters have been pretty bad in the Lower Mainland. We've had a lot of snowstorms here. Doesn't it seem to have gone up? Maybe that's why more people are getting snow tires on their vehicle, too. Brand new survey just out, 2023. This is the Canadian Consumer Winter Tire Study. Finds 73% of BC drivers now use winter tires. That's very high. I think. And last year, the rate was 59%. So that is a significant increase. And by my math, there, it's a 26% increase in the number of BC drivers using winter treaded tires. Got Sterling Art standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report here now. Over at TransLink, they are also installing new snow tires. On their buses, this report from Global News reporter Alyssa Thibault. Buses run fine on a typical rainy fall day, but once the snow falls, it's chaos. This year, TransLink says it will be ready. Every winter we take our lessons learned. During a big show-and-tell display, Coast Mountain Bus Company announced it will be rolling out new tyres on a third of its fleet, about 500 buses, and these ones have a more aggressive tread. They allow the snow to kind of come into the channels and then get pushed out of the side of the tyre. The company assures that both the new and older versions are the best money can buy. The new tyres that we're demonstrating are the same rating, they're just a different tread. And so we think that the the more aggressive tread will perform better in the snowy conditions. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Sterling Arndt. Sterling is the chief operating officer at OK Tires, 350 locations. Hey, Sterling, thanks for coming on. Uh, You're welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. You're now the chief operating officer there because you used to you were running your own your own OK Tire outlet there for a while, right? How long did you run that OK Tire outlet? A little over 25 years, Mike. A long time. Wow, long time. Yeah, that is a long time. But now you're now you're in charge of what? What? 350 stores? Holy smokes! That's a lot of tires. It is. It's a lot of tires. <laughs> a little overwhelming to begin with, but um, getting used to it now. <laughs> Well, congratulations on that. That's a lot of rubber on the road here. Okay, let's talk about uh, winter tires here, Sterling. What did you think of the uh, the tires there they're installing on those TransLink buses? Like when I was looking at that Global News report, man, the tread on those tires, that looked pretty uh, pretty gnarly. That Those looked like pretty good tires. What did you think of those? You know what, Mike, you're right. They look great. Um, it's, it was nice to see that. I, I guess the only, the only comment I would have is I don't know why it took so long, but um, the, yeah. the, tread they, the tread they chose looks great. Hopefully it'll make a big difference. Yeah, is it really? Does that what it comes down to on a winter tire? It's, it's the tread that makes the difference? The tread makes a big difference and the, the compound of the tire, so the, how the rubber is itself as well. Yeah. Yeah, because so what? So let's talk about the tread first of all. Like when you see the tread on those bus tires, man, that is some. Uh, that looks like some of these monster truck type tires there. I mean, talk talk to me a little bit about the tread. What do you sort of look for in a tread on a winter tire? Well, you need um, what what grips in the snow is the edges, 
And then again, the compound makes a big difference. If the rubber's a little softer, it'll, it'll grip the snow and ice better as well. But the little edges is what really makes a difference in the snow. So seeing those bigger blocks, to, uh, instead of getting packed with snow, it'll help clear the snow as well, as they said on the, on the uh, report. But um, my, again, I don't know why they're, they haven't done this before. And at least it's a start. It's a great step forward because uh, it would be a, it's important that the buses run well when it's snowing. Yeah. No, no, it is overdue for sure. And maybe it's because we've seemed to have gotten walloped with a bit more severe winter weather here in recent years. At least it seems that way to me. And maybe that's why this study here finds that more British Columbian drivers are now using winter tread tires as your 73%. I find that kind of a a high number, but maybe I've got a, a warped perspective on it living in the, you know, living in this part of the province. Probably people elsewhere in British Columbia in the north and the interior uh, winter tires a lot more common would you say i would totally agree i think up yeah. uh, in the northern parts it's it's in the high 90s and probably a lot lower in the lower mainland yeah. why is it important to to have winter tires on your vehicle um well we used to always say at the store if you're if you're able to stay home when when the conditions are bad you could probably get away without having them if you need to go to work if you need to have uh your little person go to the hockey tournament somewhere where there's snowy mountains, then it's a necessary, it's a necessary thing to have for sure. Yeah. 78%. This is an interesting study. 78% of BC drivers say winter tires have saved them from a serious road accident. Wow. That, that's, that says a lot right there. What, what what do the winter tires do? Like, is it just, I mean, this kind of sounds like a dumb question, but when you're driving in the snow on these winter tread tires, what does it just give you? It just gives you some more, tr- more grip? Yeah, you know, most cars will get you going in the snow. The tricky part is when you have to turn, especially on the highway when you're going at significant speed, if you have to make a corner when there's ice or when you're, when you have to stop in a hurry, that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest advantage to a winter tires. You're going to be able to actually turn and stop properly. This study goes on to say 76% BC drivers believe extreme weather events related to climate change have made winter tires more important than ever. Are you seeing evidence of that at OK Tire? Like, are more people getting snow tires? Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think more people are conscious of the, of the safety they bring. Um, like, for us now, like, I look at things more nationally. Quebec, it's actually mandated by law that you have to have winter tires wow. by i believe the december 1st so um yeah no it's 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 a huge difference for safety for sure do you think they should do the same thing here in bc you know it for the mountain highways i think they should be mandated to have the mountain snowflake at the very yeah. least i think the regulations are a little um just still a little bit too low for what you what you need for minimal to pass the mountain highways in the wintertime. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. You, you mentioned the snowflake symbol on the side of a, a winter tread tire, because this is where I find it can get confusing because you've got winter tires and then you have, well, you have all weather tires and then you have all season tires, right? Can you just break that down for me? Like I, I find those, these descriptors kind of confusing at times. Yeah, the tire industry hasn't done a great job of um, the, the labels. The uh, 
The tire's called all-season. Quite honestly, they're more of a three-season tire. They're not meant for, for winter conditions. The tires with the mountain snowflake are designed to be used for winter. So you have an all-weather, which will come with the mountain snowflake, or a winter tire also comes with the mountain snowflake. Um, both are designed for winter conditions, where the winter tire is the one that will give you the, the ultimate traction in the winter. Okay, so all-weather tires... And winter tires would both have the snowflake symbol on the displayed on the tire, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct, yes. But the winter tire, what what makes the winter tire better in the snow? It's they're generally a softer compound. Again, with more edges, it's just going to give you that next level of winter performance. The difference being the winter tires, you, you would want to take those off in the spring. Otherwise, they do wear very quickly in the summertime. Like because of the track, the tread is so soft, the rubber, they'll wear out in a real hurry in the hot weather. Whereas the all-weathers are designed to be left on all year round. Speaking to Sterling Arndt, Chief Operating Officer at OK Tire, talking about the brand new survey showing a sharp increase in British Columbians putting winter tread tires on their vehicles. Let's have a listen to Sani Zane here, president of BC Rapid Transit Company here, again, talking about putting these winter tires on our buses. And he says they, they are taking action earlier here to deal with looming winter weather. Let's listen. We had a storm in early November, uh, or, or actually maybe mid-November. It got us uh, to be much more cognizant of readiness sooner, because last year's winter storm in November was unusually early. So we've moved up our readiness and our winter planning, as Mike mentioned, started in early fall. So sometimes it's about timing. So last year, we got a little wallop in at this time of uh, last year in November. Sterling, would you say that now is the time to be thinking about this? I mean, the roads are clear right now, but is now the time to be thinking about a, a winter snow tire? You definitely. You want to you wanna take the time now when uh, before the snow comes because, as usual, it'll be crazy busy at the stores if you wait until it actually starts to snow. Yeah. Right now, the stores will be op- have openings and appointments available for you to get, get the tires on pretty, pretty quick right now. How much does a good set of winter tires cost? Well, depending on size, um, you probably somewhere between 500 to 1500 And then, I mean, on an exotic vehicle, it could be higher than that. That's for four tires? Correct. Okay. And what about, do you guys do the storage thing? Like, I've often wondered if I, t- if I put winter tires in my vehicle, what do I do with the other tires? Yeah, most, most locations now um, will store the tires for, they'll have an option for storage, so... You can leave them there for a convenience factor. It's really nice rather than having to load them in the, the back of your car or back of your car and then find somewhere at home to put them. Yeah. Do you guys charge for that? Yes. Yeah. Um, changes are, it varies at different locations, but you know, feel free to, to talk, reach out to the stores and see what they have for options. Okay. Last question for you, Sterling. Let's say, you know, once the winter, the snow starts flying here and people will be driving in snowy AC conditions here at some point as we go forward. Let's say you get into that uncontrolled slide. Everyone's had this feeling, okay, you're in, the, you're behind the wheel of your vehicle. You're skidding on the ice. Oh no, I can't control the vehicle now. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to turn, turn the wheel in the direction you're skidding? Just remind you, how, how are you supposed to do, deal with that? Yeah, um, generally, 
like I'm not a race expert in that way, but you, yeah. you're supposed to look, you're supposed to look where you want to go and then you'll steer, you'll, you're, you'll instinctively steer that way as well. So that's a, a really, just a simple thing to think about. Look where you want to go. Like if you're, if you're skidding to the left and you want to be going right, if you look to the right, you'll, you'll instinctively steer that way as well. And that's a good way to, mm. to think about it. Sterling, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Sterling Arndt, Chief Operating Officer, OK Tire. He is a tire expert. This is an interesting survey here. Finds 73% of British Columbia drivers now use winter tires. That is up from 59% last year. That is a 26% increase. The survey says 76% of BC motorists think that, or no, 81% think that winter tires protect their family. 78% say winter tires have saved them from a serious road accident. All right, we've been talking a lot about the carbon tax recently, talking a lot about heating your home with natural gas. The Prime Minister recently announced that federal carbon tax pause on home heating oil doesn't really affect a ton of people here in British British Columbia. Less than 2% of people heat their homes with oil. And a lot of concern around the carbon tax. How do you beat the carbon tax? Well, maybe go electric. What about going for a heat pump now? Canadians, especially those who heat their homes by, by burning fossil fuels like natural gas, they are being encouraged to switch to electric heat pumps to cut greenhouse gas emissions. There are rebates available in British Columbia to encourage you to do that. Is this something that would work in your home? How efficient, how well do these heat pumps work anyway? What if you live in a super cold weather climate, say in the northern or interior part of British Columbia in the winter? How do the heat pumps perform there in the in the deep freeze? Let's talk about this now. My guest is Brendan Haley, Efficiency Canada. He is standing by. First, let's have a listen to Premier David Eby here. Okay, so Eby, at a recent gathering of premiers, noted that the federal government is offering some major incentives to people in Atlantic Canada to switch to a heat pump. He wants a heat pump deal here in B.C. too. He actually put on a I Love Heat Pumps t-shirt at this event here, asking the federal government, we want help on heat pumps here in B.C. too. Let's have a listen here. I brought a a t-shirt with me here about my enthusiasm for the federal government's uh, heat pump program in Atlantic Canada and uh, and how much I hope uh, that it uh, it comes to British Columbia in the same way for the 30,000 people who get that feeling in the pit of their stomach when they hear the fuel pump truck uh, pull or when they hear the fuel truck pull up to fill up their tank and they know a bill's coming in the mail. Yeah, well for people who use home heating oil, yeah, they may feel that too. You're heating with natural gas, you get walloped with the uh, carbon tax too. All right, let's discuss it all now with my guest Brendan Haley. Brendan is policy director for energy and an energy efficient economy with Efficiency Canada. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Brendan, thank you for coming on today. Nice to see you, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. And I know you're you're super, super bullish on, on these heat pumps. You even dressed up 
as a heat pump for Halloween. So let's let's discuss that first. <laughs> Get that out of the way here because this is the one that made national headlines here. Dressing up as a heat pump for Halloween. Brendan, why? <laughs> tell me about that. How did? Why did you do that? Uh, well, we like Halloween in my household, and it was really just a way to sort of make fun of myself as someone who's you know sort of policy wonky and. Uh, talks to my neighbors about heat pumps and it's actually not a difficult costume to to make and I got to poke some fun at myself and actually have some really fun and wonky conversations with some people about heat pumps and how they work and some of the policies around them. Well, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, that's what you do. You want to get, get people talking about heat pumps, and that's what we're doing today. So I think your strategy actually worked there. So for people <laughs> yeah. who are um, are curious, if you just Google uh, heat pump Halloween costume, uh, you'll see Brendan's picture come up because it was everywhere, everywhere. Okay, so Brendan, let's talk about heat pumps here now. So for people who are unfamiliar with this uh, technology can you give like a simple sort of definition on like what is a heat pump? Sure. Uh, most people probably have a refrigerator in their house and a lot of people likely have an air conditioner. Um, and if you think about what those are both doing, they're basically doing the same job as a heat pump. So a refrigerator is actually um, pumping heat out of your fridge and pumping it into your house. An air conditioner is pumping heat out of your house and pumping it into the outdoors. A heat pump just does that in reverse. It captures heat from the outside air and it pumps it into your building um, to give you a nice, constant, warm temperature. Um, and because you're just using a tiny bit of electricity to actually just move heat, which is already there in the atmosphere, it's really, really, really energy efficient. Right. I remember when I first heard this term, heat pump, and I, I was originally a little bit confused by it because I thought, like, is are they saying that it's pumping heat out of the ground or something? Like, when I think about a pump, I think about, you know, pumping water from somewhere to somewhere else. Some of them do work like that. You can yeah. have ground source heat pumps, which is actually pumping heat out of out of the ground. And those work really well in really, really um, cold temperatures. But a lot of what would probably be the common technology, um, you know, for most buildings, especially in an urban environment, would be an air source heat pump, which is actually taking that heat out of the air. Right. And do heat pumps like if, okay, let's say you're thinking about transitioning to a heat pump in in your home do you need to have duct work in your home like for people who have like a natural gas furnace which is very common in british columbia you would in a home in a house let's say you would typically have like a duct work through your home right that a heat yep. pump can connect to is that sort of do you need yep, that so do you need that sort of duct infrastructure yeah, absolutely. So um, I live in Ottawa and I just replaced my f natural gas furnace with a heat pump system and we use the existing ductwork. So, yeah. you know, essentially it is it is warm air going through those ducts and you can get that warm air um, through a heat pump, you you know, just in the same way as you, you used to get it um, by, you know, burning a fuel in your in your home um, through your your natural gas furnace. Um, the bigger the ducts, the better. Um, a, a heat pump does require a little bit more um, airflow. 
um, than than a typical furnace would. Um, for a lot of systems, it's just a drop in and it works great. Um, sometimes some extra duct work might be necessary to, to make those ducts a little bit bigger. Or the other thing you can do is you can insulate your house. You can reduce the energy demand that your house creates by by having better air sealing, better insulation, and then you need a smaller heat pump. Yeah. Okay, and you've just transitioned your home, you mentioned, to a heat pump. How's it working out? Are you happy with it? Um, so far, this is my first winter with it, but I also I used to live in Halifax, and I had a heat pump there, and, and it works great. I mean, one thing that um, I think is most people might want to know is that a furnace come off typically is oversized a furnace goes on and off on and off on and off so you're just kind of dumping heat into your home and then it turns off whereas a heat pump provides this consistently consistent warm air and a lot of people find that way more comfortable because it's like taking a shower with consistent hot water falling on you instead of just dumping all that as a bucket over your head, a furnace, um, often because it comes on and off, on and off, hot, cold, hot, cold, a heat pump is constant and it's way more comfortable often. Plus it provides air conditioning because it's just an air right. conditioner. Right. Well, of course, this is the other big advantage in, in the summertime, you can go into air conditioned mode and with the heat waves that we've seen recently, yeah, this is becoming a very attractive to people here in, in British Columbia. So does it, like I've heard people say that they don't think the heat pump provides a good a be, a good quality of of heat. Like I've talked to people who've said, "You know what? I preferred my I had a better heat with my natural gas furnace. I'm not really satisfied with the kind of the quality of the heating coming from a heat pump." Have you ever heard that kind of complaint that some people say they don't they don't work as well as they would like them to work? Um I think anyone who might be complaining about that perhaps their heat pump wasn't installed properly or it's not sure. calibrated properly i mean my experience and the experience of most people i know have a heat pump is again it's more comfortable because it's not mm. switching on and off on and on and off like like that okay so you know here's the other one i hear is do they work well in super cold environments so let's say you're living in the north or interior of british columbia it could be really cold in the winter do they still do they operate as well as say like a natural gas furnace Mm-hmm. Well, there's in the last couple of decades, there's been some great advancements in cold climate heat pumps, um, and they can work at uh, full capacity or excellent capacities down to minus 20, and some of the newer ones even down to to minus 30. So yes, they can work in cold temperatures. And you ask me, well, how can that be? Well, you know, minus 18 degrees Celsius air still has 85% of the heat as 21 degrees Celsius air. So what feels cold to us, right, um, might be different than essentially the physics of being able to um, extract heat from the air. Um, But most heat pump systems, especially in colder climates, have um, a supplemental heating source yeah. And that's not a big deal. That's just the way the system works. So um, you can have heat strips um, built right into the, your indoor unit if you have a fully electric heat pump system. And some during those you know very cold days, those heat strips will just automatically kick on. Um, it'll be just a little bit less efficient, but it'll supply the heat you need. And the other thing I'll say is it's really important to keep into perspective how 
rare that is sometimes. So on Vancouver Island, um, you know, the temperature data is that it's almost never gone to minus 20 degree Celsius when you might need that backup or supplementary heat. The worst case scenario I can find in BC is Fort Nelson, where it drops below minus 20 degrees Celsius about 14% of the time. So that means 86% of the time, a cold climate heat pump is going to provide that way more efficient, more comfortable heat. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the time, yeah, you've got that supplementary heating system, and, and that's how exactly how the system is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Speaking to Brendan Haley, Efficiency Canada, we're talking heat pumps here. Take a break here. We'll get some phone calls going in a minute. Let me, let me ask you real quickly, Brendan, like, how much does it cost for a typical heat pump and i know there are there are rebates available right there are federal rebates there are provincial rebates and incentives correct like how much would this typically cost someone all right um well my system which is again an ottawa system cold climate it was twenty five thousand dollars um but a more typical system that you might have as um you might have just as a furnace as your remaining backup they those can be about eight thousand dollars you can even have heat pumps that might just heat a room or a part of your house that would be even less than that okay i, I had a friend who had a installed one for him was seventeen thousand so i mean it sounds yep. like there's a range right there's a range of range of prices all right we're talking heat pumps with my guest brendan haley efficiency canada we got a ton of phone calls here drew and quinnell hi drew go ahead Hi there. Say, uh, last year we had minus 30 for about three weeks. Um, with the heat strips, how effective are they and what exactly are they? The heat strips? Yes. Okay, Brendan, go ahead. Yeah, so the heat strips, if you had electric baseboard heating in your home, that's essentially what the heat strips are. Um, I mean, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's a way to heat your home. Like when you, when you fire up your toaster, you essentially use some electric heat to, to heat, you know, certain elements. And, you know, that's essentially what you're doing to, to produce heat through, through those heat strips. And they're just built right into that indoor air handler. And, you know, your, your fan will circulate that, that heat through the building. So right. it's it's the same heat. It's electric heat. It, it's just less efficient. It's a hundred percent efficient, actually, whereas a heat pump would be, you know, um, three hundred, five hundred percent efficient. And how would those how would those heat strips perform in minus thirty? They would perform. Said fine. They would they would perform. Okay. There's there's nothing that would be preventing that because unless your power went out. Right. Okay. Um, but even if you have a furnace and your power goes out, your fan also goes out, or else you're going to get carbon monoxide poisoning. So, the the thing to think about your home performing at minus thirty is really how well air sealed and insulated is it? How good are your right. windows? How good are your doors? That's what's really going to keep you comfortable at minus thirty. Right. Right. Good. Good point. Reed in Kelowna. Hi, Reed. Go ahead. Hi, I just uh, I'm a refrigeration air conditioner mechanic, and uh, I'm not really agreeing with your caller. Um, it's just because of the efficiency rating of them; uh, they drop off hugely after you get to minus ten. You're not getting your three times as much as what you'd get out of a uh, electric heat, right? Electric heat is starting to kill us with the electricity costs. So, I'm just not agreeing with your caller. Okay, Bre- Brendan, what do you say to him? Um, yeah, so you can have a reduction in the capacity as the temperature goes, but again, you're 
your uh, an electric heating system is you know 100% efficient so it might drop to you know from from 300 to 200 to 150 you're still you know net an efficiency benefit um, compared to a typical electric system and and again it uh, you know when it gets really really cold um, those backup heating systems you know kick in but but on those sort of zero degree days 10 degree days um, you get extremely efficient heat from 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 an electric heat pump where I do really agree is that electric costs electricity costs really matter which is why yeah. it's not just about heat pumps it should also be about insulating your home air sealing your home to reduce your bills regardless you know of your heating source and again you know one thing that's really triggered um, this discussion is that the the federal government is providing um, you know, essentially hoping to provide free heat pumps if you heat with oil, right. but yeah. if you heat with natural gas and electricity, you get no help in your low income. Okay. You get no help from the federal government. Brendan, the, the time has flown by here and we got a ton more calls coming in. So we'll just have to have you back on. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Nice to chat with you and your, your listeners. All right, let's talk about ketchup now and what it's like for your health. Now, we all know that ketchup goes perfectly with French fries, hot dogs. Oh, you might get a dispute over whether uh, you should put ketchup on a hot dog. I put ketchup on my hot dog. Scrambled eggs, I think it's a nice accompaniment. But what about ketchup? Does it go with a 10K run? Does it go with a, a half marathon run or a full marathon? The Heinz Ketchup Company has just launched a new ad campaign encouraging runners to power up with ketchup. They say that runners everywhere are using ketchup packs, you know, like the little, the little ketchup packs you would get at McDonald's or whatever. They say that runners are running with these ketchup packs and slurping them down during a run to get an energy boost, just like you'd use like an energy gel on a on a run. Now I now I'm a runner, okay? So I've done I've run marathons and a bunch of half marathons. I have never seen anybody eating ketchup on a run. But maybe this is this is a brand new thing that I'm un, unaware of. I got Jake Crossman standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this news report here on this Heinz ketchup marketing campaign. Let's listen. Well, before you head out the door for your morning run, Heinz wants you to grab some ketchup. The company's new marketing campaign says that ketchup packets are a great energy source. The ad says runners everywhere are using the packets for fuel during runs. It even says the campaign is crafting keystone-shaped trails, showing you restaurants that carry the ketchup packets that you can apparently steal from. But dietitian, <laughs> they didn't say to buy. They just say you can go buy and grab them. But dietitians say not so fast because the packets have only three carbs each, and a runner would need to ingest 15 to 30 of them during the half marathon. So Oh, oh, you imagine eating 30 ketchup packs during a half marathon? No, I don't think I'll, I'll be doing that anytime soon. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Jake Crossman. Jake is a holistic nutritionist. USAMedicalShop.com is his website. Jake is very popular on social media. Definitely give him a follow on TikTok. He does, he does an awesome job on there. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Jake, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Mike, great to be here. 
Okay, Jake, what do you think about this now? Slurp down a bunch of ketchup packs during your run. What do you think of this idea? I mean, I think you know where I'm at. I mean, the, the, the wording of the ad is so deceptive, right? Runners everywhere are using Heinz ketchup packets. I've been a runner for a long time, and I don't use Heinz ketchup. I mean, like you said, three grams of carbs, that's all high fructose corn syrup carbs. There's no nutrition. There's no electrolytes. There's no reason to be taking a Heinz ketchup packet on your run. Well, isn't that, okay, what's in an energy gel? Like when people go for a run and they, they will take those energy gel packs, doesn't that, isn't, isn't that what you're eating there, carbs? Such a good question. It's, it's so many more electrolytes, right? There's so much more right. salt and magnesium, potassium, calcium. So it's getting, it, your body needs the electrolytes, right? You don't need the simple sugar. You need the stuff to get your body moving. Okay, it's an interesting ad campaign by Heinz because it's reminded me a little bit of, I remember a recent marketing campaign, I think it was from Diet Coke, that were uh, saying that Coke would, was also a good sort of athletic drink for, for you know, hydrating. And I thought that's, that's an interesting, interesting twist on, on Diet Coke. Now, I know that you are not, you're not really big on ketchup, and <laughs> I think one of the first videos I saw of yours on TikTok was about ketchup. So let's have yeah. a listen to this now. So here's Jake's TikTok video on ketchup. Let's listen. Never buy Heinz tomato ketchup. This is sugar paste. Look, with four grams of added sugar per tablespoon, this is sugar paste. Non-organic tomatoes, it's just red sugar. If you actually want good ketchup, get a no sugar added ketchup. But if you try this and don't like it, you don't like ketchup, you like sugar. Ditch the ketchup, try mustard or hot sauce or something else. Okay. It's mm. not ketchup, it's sugar paste. <laughs> Jake, break this down for me here. How much sugar is in ketchup? Oh, I mean, it's it's most of the bottle. There's a great video that I actually uh, stitched on TikTok where someone showed how much sugar they add into it. It's 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 over half of the entire bottle is just sugar. But I mean, that's the thing. It's it's a condiment that we've gotten used to how it tastes. We all like. I mean, I like how ketchup tastes. Who doesn't? It's sure. sugar paste, right? So it's it does taste good. And of course, all things in moderation on your hot dog, on your hamburger. I get it. But it's the people that use it religiously to eat their food. They're just adding sugar to their food that's it what well, isn't what about the tomatoes in there oh yeah what about the tomatoes there's very <laughs> few tomatoes in tomato ketchup because it's 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 tomato extract it's it's the it's the paste right so they're not giving you know full tomatoes they're they're extracting and using a small amount of paste to flavor it so very small amount of uh, tomatoes and really no nutrition at all mm. okay I discussed this issue with my wife last night. This actually came up over dinner. I, <laughs> yeah. I mentioned to her that I'll be just talking about ketchup on the show today. And I mentioned to her that you recommended, and we heard that in the video, maybe try a, a ketchup that has no no sugar added. Yeah. And her, her response to that was, Ugh, that would probably <laughs> taste terrible. <laughs> You mean, yeah, it probably tastes not, not as good. It's not yeah. what we're used to, right? Like the taste of tomatoes, we don't, I don't think a lot of people think of adding tomatoes to their food, right? But the taste of sugar is what we like. So it's, it's, you know, it's like my dad pouring white sugar in his coffee every morning. He doesn't, you know, it's not that he likes coffee. He likes the white sugar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no sugar added ketchup. I guess that's an option, but you also mentioned hot sauce in there, right? Yeah. Like what would be, what would be better, a better, healthier condiment choice other than ketchup? So hot sauce would be one, right? I was trying to give some other options that people tend to like, you know, like 
mustard really is pretty good for you. Hot sauce is good with the capsaicin. It actually improves your metabolism, helps you digest food better. So um, other other options are just any, I mean, any sauce you like, again, it's fine in small amounts. If you are a diehard ketchup fan, go for it. But it's just yeah. the, the amount, right? The amount people like to use all over their hamburger, all over their fries, all over everything. That's where it gets to be too much. Okay. And well, I like your suggestion about mustard and I'm glad that you think that's okay. But what about Mm -hmm. the traditional kind of French's yellow mustard? What's that stuff like? Yeah, honestly, it's pretty fine. I mean, obviously, like you can find the brands that cost more and are more organic and whatever. But yeah, in in general, mustard has some actual good nutrition behind it. It's actually going to help your body a little bit versus the, you know, sugar paste of ketchup. Okay. All right. Jake Crossman is my guest. Jake is a nutritionist. Check out his videos on, on TikTok. One of the, the reasons that your, your TikTok videos are so popular and I enjoy watching them is you will go around the grocery store and you will point out popular common items on the shelf that you think are not nu- good nutritional choices to make. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are they are surprising to me, some of the ones that you select. Let me play one, give you an example, Jake, for your thoughts. So here is your video on Dasani, Dasani water. Let's listen. Mm-hmm. Do not buy Dasani. Look, any water that says purified water means it has no minerals and no electrolytes. And the point of water is to carry minerals into your body. So if it's purified, it's going to extract the minerals from your body and dehydrate you. Okay, tell, so that's one surprised me because I thought like Dasani water was just like any other sort of bottled water. Right. So anything that's been purified, and if we go to the extreme of like distilled water, that's going to have zero electrolytes in it. And that's, and your body, I mean, needs electrolytes that we don't really need like water, like distilled pure water. We need the electrolytes from like spring water. And, you know, a a natural spring is going to have all those electrolytes from the rock, from, from the actual spring. So the magnesium, the calcium, potassium, same thing with the, the gel packets, right? Why, why is a gel packet better than the ketchup packet? Because it has electrolytes in it. So if you drink distilled water or heavily purified water, it is going to to potentially dehydrate you more because your body wants to achieve osmosis, right? It wants to achieve the the equilibrium. It wants to make sure everything is the exact same. So putting distilled water or purified water in your body is going to extract some of those minerals um, for your waste. Okay. What would you say is the best brand of bottled water to get? Um, And across the board, anything that's spring water, I really like, um, you know, Mineral water is good. Personally, I like, um, there's a company called Saratoga I really like. I like um, Mountain Valley, Deer Park. Anything that's spring water, is, I'm pretty happy spring with. Spring water. Okay. Another one that, I, I saw a video that you did where you go into the bread aisle yeah. in a grocery store, and I think you said, this is the most disgusting aisle in the, in the <laughs> store. Can you tell me why sort of yeah. uh, bread, like white bread, processed bread is is bad because we, you know, a lot of people eat a lot of it. We eat it in our family. Sure. What's wrong? For with one, it? there's a lot of like added seed oils, you know, canola oil, vegetable oil. And that's a long conversation about are they bad? Aren't they bad? In my worldview, they are. So there's a lot of oils in those breads. Um, white bread in particular just has 
zero nutritional value to it. There's nothing. Um, if you get like a whole wheat or a grain bread, there's going to be some nutrition in there. But personally, I think sourdough is awesome. Sourdough is the best because it's just it's just the the flour, the yeast, and some water. There's no there's no added ingredients. If you look at the white bread, there's going to be so many added ingredients to make that bread and the fortified ingredients. Right? They add minerals, they add vitamins, which you know aren't necessarily found in bread. So I, in my opinion, the bread aisle is just a very engineered aisle. All the bread is not very natural except for sourdough. All right. My guest is Jake Crossman. Jake is a nutritionist, very popular on t- TikTok. Let's go to your phone calls. James in White Rock. Hiya, James. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Um, love your show. Listen to it every day as I drive. Oh. I just wanted to add that if you don't eat any sugar for at least a week, then the amount of sweetness you taste is far greater. So I eat that ketchup with no sugar added, and it still mm. tastes the natural tomatoes taste quite sweet to me now that oh. I don't add sugar oh. to anything. Okay, so you mean like if you sort of wean your body off of sugar, the, the sugar tastes better when you do eat it? Is that what you mean? or Not necessarily better, but stronger. You're stronger. more sensitive to it. Yep. Okay. Okay, and that's same it, James. With, same with salt, by the way. Okay. James, thank you for the call. Jake, what do you think of that? Yeah, thanks, James. That's a really good take. I mean, of course, like your sensitivity to things will change over time. But if you quit drinking like soda pop, right? Like I quit that years ago and you try a Mountain Dew years later, it almost makes you sick. It's so much sugar. So I I totally agree with him on that one. Yeah, let's go to Nick in Vancouver. Hi, Nick. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, So. I, I phoned up to say I don't eat anything in a can, which isn't strictly true because I still eat sardines. Okay. Uh, I like sardines, so I still yeah. eat those. But yeah. I stopped eating anything in a can, especially meat. I used to eat lots of uh, luncheon meat and lots of um, corned beef. And I'll tell you what. Okay. I don't. I don't know what. How it. How it works. Or if it is working. But anyway, <laughs> since I stopped doing that about a year and a half ago, yeah. I uh, I sleep a lot better. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting up to go to the toilet, you know, for a pee at night. I'm 55, so, you know, I was getting up to go to the toilet uh, uh-huh. for a pee. I don't do that anymore. Okay. And uh, I just feel like I have a lot more energy. Okay, interesting. So, Jake, what do you think? So he said he quit canned meat. Is that what it says? Yeah, canned meat. He doesn't eat anything in a can other than basically he said sardines he still eats, yeah. but he's cut it, he cut out canned canned meat. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, I mean, there's a, if you have a super duper high sodium diet, that could definitely be affecting your sleep. That could be affecting, you know, how much you go to the bathroom. So that makes sense. If you're, you stop the canned meat, then, you know, you're going to lower your sodium. So that makes sense. How about like canned like salmon or tuna? Yeah, in my opinion, if it's wild caught, it's awesome. I'm not a huge farm raised fan just because of the extra, like, you know, mercury and that kind of stuff. But anything wild caught, I do canned tuna, I do canned salmon. So I'm, I'm, yeah. that's fine with me. Okay, I'm glad to hear that because I like that too. Jason in Vancouver. Hi, Jason. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I got a couple observations. Number one, the, the, the topic was what, weight loss or just healthy eating? I kind of turned just, tuned in. It's healthy, healthy, basically, you know. Okay, you know what? Number one, get rid of gluten, 100%. You do that for a week, and you try to eat some pasta again or something after a week, you can't do it. So gluten, number one. Sugar, salt, obviously. But here's a little 
weight loss tip. Um, Eat an orange an hour before dinner. No water or booze an hour before or after dinner. And you just shed water and weight. After about three or four weeks, you dump it. And the last thing I like to say, back in the 70s, I remember an Us magazine, an article about this 80-year-old ultra-marathoner who would drink a pint of beer every 10 miles. That's all he had. So what I did though, a long time ago, mountain biking up in the North Shore, I go to a gas station, I see some Beck's dealkalized beer, and I'm like, that sounds okay. good. You know, it's not going to... That okay, J- Jason, I hate to step on you because I-, I would love to hear the end of that story, actually. And um, But, Jake, we're out of time. And I actually, Jake, I wanted to get your take on gluten, too, but we're out of time. Well, I'll just have to have you back on, okay? That sounds great, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.